0: Who are the unstoppable ones? Is it just that they can do it and I can't? Who are the unstoppable ones?
1: Is it just that they can do it and I can't? Mission unstoppable. Mission unstoppable. The unstoppable ones. You did say unstoppable, right? You did say unstoppable, right? What is it they know that I don't? Coach Frankie Picasso takes you on the mission unstoppable.
0: stop these people? Good evening, and I am the unstoppable Frankie Picasso, and you have joined me for another Mission Unstoppable. It is Tuesday, April the 8th. The time is 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in Toronto. It's 6 o'clock in Los Angeles and 3 a.m. in South Africa. Welcome, for those of you who have joined us from there. Tonight, my unstoppable guest is Diane Lang, and we are going to travel to the dark continent of Africa. Dark not because of the color of its people, but dark because of the corruption, murder, rape, vice, prostitution, and gross misconduct that you will bear witness to this evening. Diane is a psychologist, AIDS worker, human rights activist, and she became the target of the secret police, the Scorpions, the most feared unit in all of South Africa. When her strong sense of justice naively put her in harm's way, Diane was forced to flee her country. Today, she is sitting thousands of miles away in a lonely room, still fighting against a corrupt system, but miles away from her beloved children, waiting for the day that a stranger shows up with a bullet, a needle, or some other form of weaponry designed to do her fatal harm. For years, Diane naively thought that those who had been sworn in to uphold the laws of the land took that job seriously. She had been taught to call the police if someone broke the law. Never did she dream that the one she would run to would become her greatest danger. I cannot promise you that what you will hear tonight will be easy to listen to. It wasn't for me. In fact, if you are like me, you will be angry, you may find your hands curling up into fists, and you might want to take action. And I say, good, if that's the case, then we've done our part of the job. But I can promise you one thing. Everything that you will hear tonight is the truth and you will be hearing it straight from the mouth of one of the bravest human beings I've ever had the privilege of knowing. She's a modern-day Joan of Arc, a freedom fighter, and a mother in the real sense of the word. In her words, she said, Whether I live or die is immaterial. What matters is that others continue to fight until all the children in South Africa are free from fear, that they may grow up to be responsible and happy adults who will be an asset to society. Please welcome... Diane Ling. Good evening, Diane, and welcome to Mission Unstoppable. Hello, Frankie. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me. And all of us, we are just so excited uh, to to have you here with us and be able to speak to you in person. I'm very really excited, excited about to be on your show. Thank you very much. Thank you. There's a lot to understand and a lot to know, and so I thought maybe we would take everybody back to the very beginning, where you came from, from Transiki. And give a little bit of history about apartheid and what happened just after when the ANC came into into rule. Let's just go there for a little bit if we can, and just you know, bear down some history, and then we can move forward from there. Now, you you said that you were brought up in Transkei, which was um, under tribal rule at the time. Um,
2: yes. It- that's right i i was born in the in, in the transkei um which was um which is part of, of south africa but it was um under uh, it was uh, self-governing and uh since 1962 and was under tribal law so i i wasn't um um i wasn't subjected to apartheid until i was an adult actually and um, when the Transkai became independent in 1976, I actually became an illegal alien in the land where I was born. And suddenly I had to um, get a residence permit and a passport and so on to be able to get into uh, South Africa and back into the trans sky. Um And um, then later on... Um, after my my children uh, had been born and so on, I moved to South Africa, and that's when I was really faced with um, what apartheid was. Um, but I was i not so so much uh, concerned that uh, it was a case of oh the poor blacks are not allowed um, to be on this part of the beach, but I was. Very affronted that I was not allowed on that beach. It wasn't for me uh, because I had come from an area where there was no apartheid. So um, I couldn't understand why I couldn't go where I wanted to go. It wasn't so much of a case of oh, these people can't come where I am. I was saying to myself, why can't I go where they are going? Because my whole life I had been brought up where there were very few white people, and I had mostly being brought up where they were black people. So I joined the uh, the ANC.
0: Well, let me um, stop you there for a second. Just for those who don't know what apartheid is, it is racial segregation. So formally in South Africa, it, apartheid means separateness. And in the African's language, it was a rigid racial division that governed the white minority population and and, and kept the blacks away from them. So that was apartheid. And, and that was in rule from nineteen forty eight for for fifty years until the nineteen ninety when when the ANC came in. Now you when you talk about tribal law, what tribe is that? Um, that was the
2: um the closet tribe but in that area it was the Amapondo. It's the same area where Nelson Mandela was born and in fact he was only he was born about fifty kilometers away from where I was born.
0: Okay, so you'll hear us talk about the ANC tonight, and the ANC is the African National Congress, and it was an anti-apartheid movement which came into ruling political party in South Africa in the 1994 election. And everybody thought, wow, fantastic, right? That's correct. And it was.
2: It was wonderful. Nelson Mandela was the uh, 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 president, um, Mm -hmm. and... For the four years that he was president, it was wonderful. I mean, we were we were still carried on this wave of euphoria, um, the Rainbow Nation, and it was wonderful until Mbeki until took over.
0: And then this leadership had nothing to offer but more of the same and even worse than its predecessors. And the ANC's belief now that they'll be in power forever seems to underlie many of their actions this corruptness, this corruption, that, that you know, Africanization at whatever the cost is is horrifically hurting this this country.
2: Well absolutely. Um there's it's not really a, a rainbow nation and it's not really a democracy. It's actually a one party state.
0: So this is what you have been really up against and this is what we're going to be talking about uh this evening because those who are in power uh feel no impunity. They're not afraid of anybody. And and, no, and but no, they're afraid of you. They're afraid of you. And and this is why I think that you've been targeted. Okay. Well you
2: see there's no accountability. There's no responsibility. There's no service delivery. And everybody is living
0: um in fear. Right. Um everybody is living in fear and yet you in your naivety, like all of us who think that the people who are in government, the people who are sworn to protect us, are the people who are supposed to do right by us? And so when you see criminal activity, what do you do? You call the police. Well, that's what you I, did. I uh, that's, you uh, did. That's what I assumed, yes. Right. And so when you first started out doing. Um, the HIV training. No, you actually started out in schools, didn't you? You went into schools to start stop the abuse in in schools. Is that where you started? Um, well, well, when when
2: I started, um, I, I've always been somebody that was uh, doing something about. Injustice, wherever I, I saw injustice, I would just jump in there with two feet. And um, when I came first uh, uh, moved to South Africa and I saw the uh, apartheid system, I joined the ANC and I, and I started working with the anti-apartheid movement. And I um, was part of the information chain. Obviously, at that stage, the ANC was a banned movement. And so I got um, myself very involved with this illegal banned um, uh, movement, the ANC. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did believe that nobody had the right to separate people based on color. And that that was extreme injustice and human rights abuse. So I became very involved in that. At the same time, one of the things they were doing in schools was punishing children with corporal punishment, and because my son had uh, was also being affected by that, I started staging demonstrations um, and picketing, doing all kinds of things, crazy things like that in a, in a country where those demonstrations were not allowed. Uh, but eventually um, a legislation was passed. Um, banning all corporate punishments in school. So um, that movement I started was called Education Without Fear. So,
0: so you know, um, what would corporal punishment be? What would they do? What, what could they, they do would, to your child? They would take
2: a, a cane, a whip, and mm-hmm. beat your child with a whip.
0: Until they bled? Often, yes. Okay. Now. You did something, you did something um and if you could explain to me why you did this, I- I'm curious. You you had your child. Um you went across the border, you had your child in South Africa and then hid him and went back to Transkai? Is that what you did?
2: Oh no, that, yes, that was um because in the Transkarp there wasn't um there weren't many shops to do your shopping so um I, I was uh <laughs> I, I was supposed to <laughs> I was highly pregnant. I I left my my first child um, back in the trans sky um, and I said, I'm just going to go and do my shopping in East London. I drove to East London, which was 400 kilometers away. I was just going to go for the day. And then I was doing my shopping, pushing the trolley around the supermarket and I thought, oh, my goodness, I think I'm going to have this baby. And I went up to the um, 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 cashier and I said, uh, tell me where's the nearest hospital. Could you keep this trolley? I'll be back now and uh, I followed the directions. I got there and they said, Oh, can you fill in these forms? I said, No, I don't think so. I mean I, I, I think we need to find them somewhere because I'm having this baby and uh two hours later I went back to the uh supermarket and uh I said, Right, can I find my trolley please? And then I had to um also buy a pillow and uh something to cover the baby with, and um, when I got back to the border, I I shoved the baby under the car seat, and then I just drove home.
0: What would have happened if they had seen the baby?
2: Well, they wouldn't have allowed me through the border, you see, because um, that baby wasn't uh, supposed to have been born. I would have had to have a travel document, a passport, and and so on, so um, I just snuck her through the border under the car seat.
0: Crazy. You lived with a lot of rules and regulations, didn't you?
2: Oh, uh, but of course, the Transkei is now back part of South Africa again, so it doesn't
0: really matter. Yeah, it was all all in huh? <laughs> So, tell me about your friend Patience. Tell us about Patience, because she was your very best friend, and and I don't think she was supposed to, she was allowed to be your friend in some places. Is that true? You um, mentioned something yes. to me about um, today. Somebody had asked today of Diane, why didn't her friends rally around her? And you answered me, uh, because they couldn't. So yeah. why don't you tell us about Patience and and um, her role. She was your best friend. You started to do HIV AIDS training with her, and you traveled around, and you ended up in the worst of places where nobody, you know, angels didn't fear to tread there, but you two did.
2: Well, patients had been my friend for many years, and prior to uh, the ANC coming into power, patients and I couldn't really go everywhere together. Um, there were curfews in place where um, black people had to be in their areas by a certain time, and um, if they were not um, staying over um, with their employers, Um, So uh, I couldn't go into the areas where patients lived, but she could come into the the area where I lived. Okay. Which made me really mad because it's just not right.
0: You know, that happened here too. (laughs) I had the same experience in, in university in St. Louis where I couldn't go to my roommate's house, but she could come to mine. So I do understand that. Keep going. I never told you
2: that. So, but these were laws.
0: Right. I, right.
2: I, I, I couldn't go into her area because I was stopped by the police. Okay. I would have had to have a permit to go in there. For being white. Have, because I was white. Okay. Not because it was dangerous, but because I didn't have the right color skin. I, was, I right. suppose I could have painted myself with boot polish. We often right. used to think about doing things like that. Right. Uh, and um, so so we were best of friends, and uh, uh, um, eventually she used to just stay over with me um, because it was just better that way. But then after the ANC uh, um, came into power, then there was none, none of this nonsense about where you could go together and so on. Um,
0: you told me something about a tire around her neck, that they would have put a tire no, around her and burned her. What is that? Um well that was before the
2: ANC came into power there was a lot of uh, violence going on and um um it was part of the boycotting the um the violence and that was going on with the ANC um uh because the ANC had a, a military wing that was um doing this to ensure that um, the National Party handed over power to the ANC and the uh, Pan-African Congress and the um, South African Communist Party were all joining, joining together. And the one party against the other party were intimidating one another. So if, if a black person was seen to be friendly with a white person, when they got back into their areas, they were necklaced. Necklace, meaning a tire was put around their necks,
0: a tire was put around their necks, and then yes, it was from
2: a car a right. car tire, or right. if they had bought anything to eat from a shop that had maybe been owned by a white person, then they were punished by having a tire put around their necks, petrol poured in the tire, and the tire set to light
0: and did they did they die from this or did they well, yes, yes. They died. Yes. Earned to death. Yes. And, and it was
2: called that necklacing was and accepted. and that was that was started by um Nelson Mandela's wife, Winnie Mandela.
0: Oh my God.
2: She she was the one that um She came up with that one? She came up with that idea of necklacing
0: people. Great. How many people do you did you I mean, you know what, I don't even want to know how many people died that way because it's just a horrific way to die and not a really pleasant thought. Many, many, but, many So violence many. Is, is, is well entrenched in, in the education and the history of these people. This is, you know, I mean, to think of something as horrific as that to do to somebody um, and think, this is perfectly acceptable, what a great idea. Um, there has to be, I don't know, it's almost psychotic behavior. Have well, you you ever see, felt
2: that?
0: you see. I think that
2: this is why people still in South Africa live in fear,
0: right? And there's
2: go ahead. Well, people live in fear in South Africa. Uh, our, our crime rate is uh, is the highest in
0: the world. In your personal story, there's three people that I feel are the big bad wolf. You know, you have you have Pumzamoba, you have Mrs. Ferrara, and you have Johan Panyar, if I'm pronouncing their names correctly, who have been instrumental in 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 blocking, stopping, hurting you every step of the way with your children. So let's go now. You were you were doing AIDS education. The first event that happened was that Emmy, I think she came to to one of your conferences. She was pregnant. She had a baby. Uh, Um, and her baby was Rosalie? Rosalind, yes. Rosalind. And all of this really started with Rosalind, didn't it? Yes, yes. When you had heard that Rosalind, who was three and almost four months old, had died, and you and patients went to investigate. That's right. And what happened?
2: Um, Well, We were providing the milk for for Roslyn because Roslyn's mom had died of AIDS, and Roslyn was being looked after by her grandmother. And the grandmother was coming every week to fetch um, the uh, baby formula for Roslyn, and Roslyn would come with her grandmother. So we always saw Roslyn, and we saw that she was growing well, and she was healthy, and every uh, and. And then all of a sudden we heard that Rosalind was dead, and we couldn't believe that Rosalind could die. It, it just die like right. that. So we went to visit the grandmother, and um, the grandmother wasn't there at the time, and we heard from the um, neighbours that Rosalind had been taken to the hospital. We went up to the hospital um, because... In a small town, people talk a lot of nonsense, and we thought that maybe it was possible that Rosalind was still alive. We went up to the hospital, and the hospital said no, that Roslyn had had been admitted as a DOA, a dead on arrival, and that she had been taken down to the mortuary. I then, we went, patients and I then went to the um, uh, mortuary, and I asked um uh, what Rosalind had died of. The fellow at the mortuary said that she had died of natural causes. So I said, I very much doubt that I would like to see Rosalind myself. So mm-hmm. he said, well, um, uh, I can't see the body because it's for family only. I said, I am the family. And um, he allowed me to um, view Rosalind's body I got such a shock when I saw her and uh, it just so happened I had my my camera with me and um, I got patients to take a picture and I took some pictures of Rosalind and Rosalind had very obviously been raped and um, there was evidence that she had obviously been thrown against the wall because um, her head was... Um, bloodied her she was bleeding out of the nostrils her ears and um, her one eye was uh, actually swollen uh, and blue and that was definitely not a natural cause and after that I asked the um, mortuary attendant if I could have a copy of her her death certificate and he said oh yeah sure if you're the family i said yes i am i would like a copy and um he made the copy and i said i'd like also uh, like a copy of the death certificate and he said well there's no death certificate because there was no birth certificate um i said well how are you going to bury the child and he said well there's just a burial order signed by the police and the burial order also said that the child had died of natural causes mm-hmm. so um um, after that, I went straight to the police station and I went to speak to the commissioner of police, the person in charge of the police station, and I said, look, there's something dreadfully wrong here. Um, this burial order says that uh, Rosalind died of natural causes. This child has been raped and she's been obviously beaten a- against the wall. You have to investigate this. This is not... A- there's something dreadfully wrong here. Mm-hmm. And he told me that I... Um, Needed to mind my own business; that I had no business in police
0: business, and um, at the same time, why did he think it was police business at this point? Sorry. Why would he say police business? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. But when
2: I was at the hospital asking about Rosalind, I had found out that there were two other children that had been brought in the day before for child abuse, and I asked the policeman this, this uh, commissioner, about those two children, and he denied that any such thing had happened. And I said, yes, but... Uh, I, and I said to him, but two children were abused, and they had been taken in, and there were admittance forms. And what was he going to do about the children that had been abused? Hmm. So he said, um, no such children have... No children in, this town, in that town were ever abused.
0: <laughs> they're just unbelievable they're just unbelievable okay
2: so so then no um, help from
0: the chief of police no what did you do then
2: um then a patient and i went and started doing our own detective work very naively
0: did you I mean, still have the pictures or did you have, hand them over
2: no 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 i had the pictures in my camera
0: okay. oh, oh he Was, didn't know about it did he
2: no no okay okay great and then i um um, Patients and I started doing our own detective work and we pieced together what had taken place through um, the grandmother, the neighbors, and so on. Um, and we found out that what had actually happened is that the grandmother had gone out that evening. She'd gone to visit her boyfriend where she promptly got a little bit drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, the father was looking, had come from from Johannesburg, was looking after the baby while the grandmother went out. When the grandmother came back, Roslyn was uh, crying and bleeding through the nose and the ears. So it must have happened while the grandmother was out. So she right. gave Roslyn a bottle. Roslyn cried the whole night. Oh. When the grandmother woke up the next morning, Roslyn was dead. The father was the only one in the house with a child. The father was a policeman who was related to the chief of police. Right. I went back to the chief of the police with, with patience, and I told him that I told him what I had discovered, and I told him that he had better. Um, at this stage, I did not know that he was related to the to the, to the father, and I um, told him that he had to do something about investigating the death of Rosalind. And he he told me that if I did not keep my nose out of police business, I would be extremely sorry. For interfering. Then. So what happened uh, after that? Um, I had the photographs developed, and I then uh, re- we carried on finding, uh, uh, doing our little detective agency work, um, and we then found out that the man was related to this policeman. This chief of police. We reported it to the Independent Complaints Directorate, who are the the investigators for police corruption and crime. Um, and at the same time, we started getting death threats, telling us to leave this business, the p- police b- business, alone, or we would be very sorry.
0: Um, and then, is that when you had um, your your car was tampered with, and, and bricks were thrown um, at you? Yes.
2: Yes, and things got worse and worse. We were getting telephone calls um, day and night. Um, and eventually it got so bad, I said to patients, Patients, I think that we should maybe drop this because uh, um, things are getting really bad. And she said to me, Diane, you were the one that has always said, if you are doing God's work, you will be protected. You've got such a big mouth now when the heat is on, um, <laughs> you want to you want to pull
0: out. Now, Patience is what, all four feet nothing?
2: Yeah, she's four foot nothing. <laughs> Sorry, she was four foot nothing.
0: She was four foot nothing, right. Yeah. And your best friend.
2: Yeah, and um, I'm six foot twenty.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> was like so, Matt and Jeff are going down the street. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, so uh, I ate my words and I said, "Well, are you sure you want to carry on?" She said, "Absolutely, big mouth." And um, so we carried on, and eventually we got managed to get a an exhumation order uh, from a magistrate, um, and uh, and the next patient was dead. Patient's body disappeared out of the, mort- the police mortuaries um, six times. Out of different police mortuaries, um, couldn't bury for her for six weeks. By the time we got her body back, she'd been so dis- decomposed, her body was green. For 12 years, I had not spent a day without
0: her in my life. Hello there. Sorry about that. Live radio, and I get bumped off on the, in my own show. <laughs> Diane, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, great. Sorry about that. And I apologize to everybody there. I don't know. It looked like a caller was calling in, and then I poof, I got bumped out. Um okay so where did you get to?
2: Um, that was patients.
0: Um Yeah, we were talking about patients. Yeah. And
2: so um I um I was uh I I I was so um devastated by her death um and I was warned also um That I would be next, and I was so devastated by her death that I um, withdrew all all the charges against the police. Okay. Do you want
0: to take a drink of water? Do you want to take a break for
2: a sec? Maybe you can talk now.
0: (laughs) Okay. I just need just a of water. I know. Yeah. No worries. No worries. So, as you can see, Diane has been up against, you know, the chief of police, this is her, this is her community, her best friend has just been killed, uh, they, I think they slipped her a piece of chicken somehow, um, I think the three of them were walking along the beach, her her boyfriend and, and herself and somebody else, and somebody, a, a friend walked up and said, here, have some food, and, and they each partook of this food, and um, a few hours later, Patience was dead, and, um Diane, you you knew what had happened when you got to the hospital. You knew that that she had been murdered. Of course, you yeah. had no proof of that, but um, you knew that the warning was for you. And it was probably easier um, for them to kill the black woman because yeah. not as many people would have had, would have maybe investigated had it been you.
2: Um, I don't know at that stage really. Um, I actually don't know.
0: Anyway, you withdrew everything. Yes. And, and then something else happened. Um
2: then I think I decided to carry on because well then that's when I just lost all my faith about, you know, God protects us when you're doing his work.
0: Right. Right. And, and, and then you, I went on really, to You really you kinda of really broke up for a little bit. And your mom it, your mom was there to help you. Wasn't she? She kind of got you back on your feet a little bit. Yeah, well, she just, I think
2: think she realized um, just how devastated I was to lose my best friend, you know. Um, Right. And you got
0: professional help?
2: Yes, I did. From a wonderful, wonderful man. And...
0: um, and, and then being I, professional yourself, it had to be—you know—you needed like somebody who was really special because otherwise you would have seen right through them, right?
2: Oh yes, and I didn't want to play games with anybody either. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I thought, well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do this for patients.
0: So you started to do the AIDS work again?
2: Yes, yes, I started to do the AIDS work again, and I never actually saw the children because. I'd been a single parent, and I thought, well, you know, when the children are big, I'm going to be free to do what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, um, you know, when you don't want to do, when you don't want to see something, you don't see it. Right. And I didn't want to see the children. I didn't, children were not part of my mindset. Right.
0: You were so, there for although the, I was doing
2: this AIDS work, I only wanted to deal with adults.
0: So Let's I talk about to... the AIDS for a second. Let's talk about that for a moment because you you were really upset and really frustrated that there was no antiretroviral drugs available for the community. Um, you 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 ran into a friend who worked for I guess one of the companies or she was a nurse or something I think who told you that the that the drugs that were being made in South Africa for HIV were being shipped out of the country and that nobody the people who needed it. Within your community, especially, uh, we're not getting anything. And that the Minister of Health told you what? Told the people what? Well,
2: well I was extremely angry about um, the situation in South Africa regarding um, the ANC's um, policy towards HIV and AIDS. I mean, we have got one of the worst um, AIDS epidemics in the world in South Africa. And yet, our minister, uh, first of all, our president, Mbeki, says that HIV does not cause AIDS. And our minister of health has got a couple of bizarre attitudes, which she constantly um, talks about on national television. First of all, she says that the antiretrovirals are worse than the disease itself, because the antiretrovirals kill. Okay. Okay. Secondly, she says that South Africans are not bright enough, clever enough, to take antiretrovirals because they won't know that they have to eat when they take their medication. Thirdly, she says that the side effects of the antiretrovirals will kill us. The other thing she also says is that HIV and AIDS can be cured by eating Lemon juice, drinking lemon juice and eating beetroot.
0: Now, one of the girls, um, I think it was Elizabeth or Emma, Elizabeth. I think yes. she was told she she was given some sort of a potato remedy. Yes. What was the potato remedy?
2: Yes. Well, there, there's a somebody who calls himself a doctor who's not a doctor, a doctor Ratz. Now he comes from Germany. Mm-hmm. He. He is um, our minister of health's friend, okay. um, and he is selling these these potato potato and vitamin pulls, some something or other, that in the townships for an astronomical amount of money, apparently to cure HIV and AIDS. And the minister of health has given him the stamp of approval, so everybody is off buying this.
0: This, Potato this miracle, <laughs> miracle cure, which in, is absolute rubbish. With money that they can't afford to spend.
2: Yes. But the children in our area are eating only once every three or four days. Right. And really if as I said to the Minister of Health, if at at the um sub Saharan AIDS conference i said listen if you think that beetroot and lemon juice is curing us of aids why don't you give us all beetroot and lemon juice because we don't even have the money to buy beetroot
0: mhm there's no there's no work there there's no industry there these people tell us how they live tell us what these people are living in what does it look like there
2: um Tin shanties, cardboard boxes, pieces of plank. There's one tap for about five thousand people. At the moment there's no ele- we are on load shedding electricity in South Africa. The whole of South Africa is like this. But South Africa is hosting the World Cup in twenty ten.
0: Wow. I, I mean are, what, you are, shared what it, pictures
2: is what is South me. Africa going to do? Welcome to the World Cup soccer. Please to the take World Cup. Yes, please. Please, with our
0: compliments, have a torch. Well, the restaurant will be full of good pickings, won't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what are they going to do
2: with the children?
0: Well, throw yeah, them that's... out of Cape Town like they
2: do, like they do when the tourists
0: come. Right. Well, that's what I meant. Your your children that you found. Um, <clears throat> Let's talk about the kids who landed on your doorstep because children weren't in your future. You didn't want to know about children. You didn't want any. You had your own children. You were doing things, and then three children landed on your doorstep one evening. Yes. And those were, who was that? That was um, Patricia, was it? Yes. Um, Well, you see, I got this little house in Middleburg. First of
2: all, I was living in Port Elizabeth, and um, I wanted to do something to make a difference to this country of hours and I thought, um, it's no good me just moaning and saying everything is going down the tubes, you know, the the crime is bad and the the poverty is bad and the HIV is bad. Let me go out there and do something about it. So, um that's why I chose this dreadful little, little place called Middleburg where there were no charities and where there were no um, um where the poverty was extremely bad where and where the HIV was really high, so I got I got this little house to use as a um, place where everybody could come and have meetings, support groups, and so on for the uh, the HIV things that I was teaching people. And then um, patients and I would stay over the night. Mm-hmm. So after patients was gone, um, I was staying over one night. And um, it was very late, uh, a winter's night, extremely cold. People don't realize that South Africa can get very cold, but the temperatures in Middleburg drop to below zero because it's a semi-desert area. And um, I opened the door, and there were these three little kids there, um, two 10-year-olds, approximately 10. they might have been nine. The mm-hmm. one might have been 11, but approximately that. And then the three-year-old. Um, and um, I gave them names because the uh, throwaway children are like no-name brands. They are no people.
0: Um, the little girl, she didn't know her name, did she? N- no. She didn't know when she was born. She didn't know who her parents were. She didn't know
2: no, anything. No, no, these these abandoned children are no name brands, so they don't have birth certificates they don't have They don't have anything. so when I first get them, I have to do a lot of research to see if I can't find or trace somebody who knows them to see if I can't do something because even once a child is past ten days old in South Africa, you can't even get a birth certificate for them.
0: Okay, so let's start but with the nice thing. So Patricia and up at your door. You don't know who yeah. they don't know who they are. You don't know who yeah. they are. So I just but,
2: gave them na- I gave them names eventually to so that I could deal with right. them. But we were called them Patricia, Betty and Sam. Right. Patricia and Betty were the two little girls. Um Betty had a hematoma on her head, um, where she'd been beaten with a brick. And um both the girls had had been um gang raped. Patricia had a huge burn on her leg where she'd been dragged through a fire and um they were all three children were covered in scabies and lice and Sam had an a raging temperature um so and of course they were starving hungry and I brought them in uh I fed them um them into the bath, Try to get some of the, the absolute filth off of them because they were pitch black. Although they're black children, they were pitch right. black. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, these children, although they come to me pitch black, the longer they stay with them, me, the lighter they become. I, I first thought maybe they're getting white because they're staying with me. But the doctor mm-hmm. told me, when I asked the doctor, he said, no, that's because you start cleaning them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and the bigger
2: food they get, the lighter they get.
0: Wow. And they're beautiful looking children too. They I really know. are. They're I've got the most
2: beautiful children. looking children. But but those three children, um, I thought because I didn't want kids, I thought, mm-hmm. Okay, I'll just keep them the night t- tomorrow I'll take them to the welfare and um they'll they'll put them in a home or something because had there been three dogs or three cats or whatever, I would have taken them to them to the animal welfare. And so the next day I took them to the child welfare people or the government so, uh, welfare, social, debe- social development, it's called. And um, I said, I've got these three children, I found them on my doorstep. Um, can you please do something about them? And this social worker looked at me and said, Oh no, these are street children. I know about these children. These are street children. Put them back on the street. We don't have facilities like that.
0: We don't have facilities for children who are No and I was
2: absolutely horrified. I took them to the doctor because Sam was so sick and um he said these children have got HIV. They're not going to live very long and in those few minutes, I made up my mind that I would look after them until
0: they died. Hang on one second. We have a caller here. Hello. Hello. Hi there. How are you?
1: Hi, it's Alan Russell.
0: Um, It's
1: lovely to hear your voice, Diana. I must admit, the emotion comes through much better than your book, and I'm not plugging your book, but the first I knew of you was somebody giving me a copy of Saving Mandela's Children. Um, I must admit, as somebody else said in South Africa, they couldn't put the book down. It's one of the, the most moving books. And I must admit, listening to this interview, it's even more moving because you're fighting the whole population and how you keep going. I said to you in a letter, how you keep going, I do not know because there is little support. Um, I must admit, it's very moving. It's, it's more upsetting than your book. Um, I just don't know how you keep fighting.
2: Sometimes I wonder myself, Russell, honestly. Um, but but I just remember the children and I remember their smiles and and I just get up and I do it again.
1: But it comes back to the other thing I, I asked you before. How do people treat their own kids like this? I mean, I can understand under apartheid, I can understand under British colonial war, a bit of disinterest, We weren't. they weren't our kids. But I mean, these are kids of the ruling party. Uh, how, nobody treats kids like this, do they? Even animals.
2: Well, I I don't. You know, I've often thought that um, I've often thought uh, about this animal thing, and no, uh, no, no animal treats their children like this. This is
0: barbaric behaviour. Is this what the country was like before though i mean did they just were children just disposable were they just something that that happened and and they're kind of like a way of life like a litter and you didn't have to look after them? I mean a lot of people are alcoholics that you talk about, but were they always alcoholics or is this something that's new in the last fifty years i mean dr you know Dr Russell goes to Africa, he sees the orphans, he knows what this is about, but is this how people have always treated their children i
2: I have never seen this in my life. Um, I've only seen it now, and it is all over South Africa. I have actually seen somebody ride over a
0: child's uh, legs. Drive over them, you mean in a car?
2: Yes. A child had fallen asleep on a uh, pavement, and his leg had fallen over off the pavement into the street. A man drove his car and actually drove over the child's leg. I saw him do it deliberately. He actually reversed back over that child's leg. I flew up there. Somebody else ran to the child and I ran to the driver. I opened the door. I grabbed him. I pulled him out of the vehicle, and I said, didn't you see the child? He said, what child?
0: I nearly throttled him. I know it doesn't make a difference, but was he white or black? He was black. Okay. And how does he explain this? He didn't see the child, and and nobody would, would charge him with anything at all? This would just I just, go away. I
2: just, I just want to tell you that uh, I've often stood at um, garages where they put in petrol with my children, and the the children have been doing a traditional dance or something for us to raise money for for the children's home. I have never once had a car with a black driver in. Give me five pennies, never. And the number of cars with black drivers is probably 80 cars to one white driver.
1: Diane, is this a lack of compassion? I mean, most of us see a beggar or somebody ill and do something, we contribute here. We, you know, this story, you know, must bring people to tears, this program. Um, But, you know, Compassion is built into us. So if I see an injured bird, I feel I want to help it. You know, uh, this, is this lack of compassion a, a new thing, or is it people fighting or striving um, to earn a living that they have no compassion? I mean, compassion is part of being human, isn't it? If you don't have compassion, you, you, I think you're dehumanized.
2: I think there's a lot of. I think I think there's a great deal of no compassion, no compassion.
1: That's a dreadful thing to say. This is, um, um, you know, I mean, I, we have, a, as you know, an orphanage in Somerset East, and, you know, it, it's nowhere near about the, the problems you're having. But, you know, it, it is very, very sad when you see this happening in parts of the world where we're wasting millions sending people to the moon. I mean, it's people but are you starving think... and you, you're, you're suffering, and it, it's a dreadful world we live in. It's the same planet.
0: But don't you think that maybe, maybe that they're this way because seventy percent of the population is dying and nobody's going to do anything about it anyway so if you have no hope for a future why would you care why would you care I have a hope for the future because you see the children
2: I'm looking after and the children I hope to to reach they are the future of South Africa my children have compassion
1: this is true I don't want to hog the line but
2: Will you be able to get
1: back to South Africa? Pardon? Will you be able to get back to South Africa? You're, I, cannot, you're
2: in I cannot go back to South Africa until the people who have threatened to kill me have been put in jail. If I die, my children st- don't have a hope.
0: They go back out on the street. This, I better this not
1: hold this bars. line. I feel bad. No, no, I'm no. Don't, don't line feel line.
0: bad. No, don't feel bad because you know what? This is far from over. This is the tip of the iceberg. Diane, you know, is going to have to come back because this story, we're not even into half of her story yet. So we need to have her to come back and, uh, next week. if She'll come and, and we'll, we'll continue on because this is this is huge. This is big. And we need everybody who is listening now to tell everybody who you know to please Come back and listen to the story because if anything does happen to Diane, we know who's done it. And if anything happens to Diane, then these 42 kids who were taken out of a garbage dump, who were taken out of places that you wouldn't even walk into, that you wouldn't let your dog sleep, okay, that you wouldn't even let your dog sleep, will be back out there. And there's nothing more cruel than knowing something a little bit better and then having to go back, and that has happened to many of her children. Welfare has come in and taken away these kids and putting them back on the street because they can, and we need to tell that story, and we haven't even got there yet. So we've got another couple of minutes here. If you want to ask any questions, please feel free to do so. Uh, The Diane Lang Foundation Children's Home has said that they would like to put a picture of Betty in the profile. Thank you. We appreciate that. I'm sure that everybody would love to see her. Thank you for that. Anybody else would like to call comment or call or Dr. Russell? You want to continue? Oh, he, he's gone now. Um, you know, continue on the discussion of why would a country treat their children this way? It's a fantastic question. Where's the compassion? Why is only one woman standing up for this, Diane? Uh, you know, you you've won a humanitarian, you won two humanitarian awards within your country. And, you know, yes, a couple of other people have won have won some too, but really, you are really, in in my eyes, and I know in Dr. Russell's eyes, uh, a contender for um, a Nobel Peace Prize. I I do believe that. <laughs> I don't. You're gonna laugh at me, but I totally believe that.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you. That is the nicest
0: thing you've said. <laughs> I mean it's that's another thing I've heard. I shouldn't say that. You say this You you know, I want you to know that you really uh, you really aren't um we've got another caller here. Hello there. You're on Hi, air it's
1: me, it's oh, me again. Yeah. Um, I hope I hope you recall this, Frankie, because as yes, audio history it this is a thing that in a hundred years people say this never happened. Right. Or people will not believe the story. I mean, I read the book but hearing your voice and intonation, you know, it really is theory and i hope we record it and secondly i think many people win nobel prizes without doing what you've done or risking their mind i've known like the chairman of nobel prize and what these things go for it's not academic it's leadership and and, um, a model i mean you're risking your life and you've risked it many times and you know i think this is more and the good work you're doing i think frankie may not be far off i think we should give nobel prizes to people who do humanistic things not people who make the the discoveries and I I wish you sincerely great wealth
2: thank you so much for your support and thank you so much for your love because that's how I carry on you see it's because of people that support me and believe in me and thank you so much
0: well you know Dr. Russell is the one who brought me your book and your story and he said you are the one person who has to do something (laughs) and And you know I mean he he wrote me and 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 here we are, and I'm really thrilled to be able to you know help you in any way that I possibly can for sure but um this is this is exactly why when I was seventeen years old, I went to university and said, "I need to change the world, I need to be a photojournalist, I'm going to be the greatest one that there ever was and and didn't do anything about it until today. <laughs> Maybe not quite true, but still, truly, this is exactly the kinds of things that would make me want to do um, to fight. And uh, you're there doing it. You're there living it, and you're doing it. And we, honestly, we don't have a clue the kind of life that you live, Diane. You know, we are so blessed over here um, that you know people who who, who break a nail complain. Like, they have no right whatsoever to even, you know, breathe the same air as you. And I and I, I, I mean that in all sincerity, really, I do. Oh, thank um, you. But where you are right now, you know, you sit with your back to a wall, you, you avoid windows, you, uh, you know, you're in hiding. And because there's somebody who wants to kill you, you know, bad people want to kill you, uh, people who work for the government who... Um, you know, you've got documentations, you've got things and these are so, things that we're gonna bring up next week when you come back and we will tell everybody, you know, the real true story. So please, Well Frankie, I tell us. you what,
2: that they, they might they might be able to kill this body, but all that information I have sent to everybody around the world. The information and the truth can never be
0: put out. I believe that. I know that, that um you know your home started with these three children, and who did not die. By the way, they did not die, and that is a testament to you because you have ta- you have brought in so many children, who you've called the priest. Come give them the last rites, and and uh, it is a, a one week old. Okay, great, thank you, um, Diane. What the the website they put this they put up. Um, They put up Betty's profile in in your website, the DLF website, and and the picture's a week old. Can you give us the address for that, please? Sorry, for
2: for my website?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's
2: um, www.dianelang.com. Diane with two Ns.
0: dot gcom Is that where you guys put it, um, Children's Home? Please respond to that in the window. I'd appreciate that. Thank you. I think that's where they put it. Um, so, if you want to see Betty's profile, Betty was. Oh no, it's on yours, Frankie. Oh, it's on my website. I think so. Or the, it, it's on
2: the. Um, I think they put a profile up on your um, on this
0: Oh, website. oh, oh! Up on Blog Talk Radio. Yes. Yes. Oh, great. Okay. Sorry, everybody. My apologies. Let's go have a look. Um, so, Betty is one of the first children to a, who who came to the home, and she's still there. And I think that that's just awesome.
2: Yes, and Sam still there, and uh, Patricia, unfortunately, the welfare took Patricia away, and um, she was murdered soon afterwards.
0: Oh, jeez. I don't see where they would put this, but okay. Um, I am going to get that from you, and I'm going to put this on the Mission Unstoppable site as well, so if anybody is interested, you can come to Mission Unstoppable tomorrow, which is missionunstoppable.com. And we'll have some more information and pictures on there for you um, from from the home and from uh, Diane. Thank you so much. really appreciate that. Any questions, you want to get a hold of me, you want to get a hold of Diane, please do, throw, uh, do so through Coach Picasso at Rogers.com, and I will send any in information on to Diane uh, that you'd like. If you want to support, let us know. The home needs needs money. The children need milk. They need food. Diane is... The sole support; um, they get no welfare, they get no, no money from the state. So, if you'd like to help there, Diane, they can donate where. Um, if they look on my website, they'll get all the all the details from there. So the diane.lang dot com again. Yes. Yes. Okay. Great. Again, so that was triple w dot diane with two n's d i a n n e lang dot com, and if you'd like to help, give some donations so the kids can eat. That would be great. We do appreciate that. And we are almost out of time, but, Diane, I'd like to invite you to come back next week, uh, finish telling your story. Dr. Russell, I hope that you'll come back and join us next week as well. And everybody who is in our chat room today and listening from afar, I want to thank you so much for joining us and joining the Facebook group. I appreciate that and doing everything that you can to get this story out to the world because this is um, one of the biggest stories I think that I know about. And it's a nation. It's a nation that is dying in, in their heart and their soul. It's good sure. you went to
1: university, Frankie. Your university education has paid off.
2: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Good night, so much.
0: Good night. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 Goodbye, Bye-bye. Diane. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Good night, everybody. We love you. See you next week at the same time. Bye-bye did you hear the news metro pcs is now metro by t-mobile now you get new plans with unlimited high-speed data all month long all on the t-mobile network check out the new metro by t-mobile today and discover the smarter way to get unlimited metro by t-mobile that's genius during congestion, the fraction of customers using greater than 35 gigs per month may notice reduced speeds. And Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video streams at 4 p Coverage not available in some areas. See store for details and terms and conditions.
2: Hey, Houston.
1: For a limited time at VisionWorks, you can get two complete pairs of glasses. Frames, lenses, the works for just $49 on single vision glasses and $89 on progressives. And that's a good deal. But we offer that pricing on over 500 frames, which makes it a
2: great deal. Right now, buy two complete pairs of single-vision glasses for just $49 or two pairs of progressives for only $89. VisionWorks, we're here to help you. Some restrictions apply. See store for details. Offer expires November 10th.